So we're in Acts chapter 13, and we're going to be reading actually from chapter 12, verse 25, the last verse there, and then uh, down to verse 13, and we're going to see what God wants to say to us, and he does want to say something to us. So I always look forward to this. What is God going to say? Um, and uh, I encourage you to make up your mind right from the beginning that whatever he says, you'll trust and believe and follow. Chapter 12, verse 25 says this, But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Verse 25, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And we'll stop right there. Now, the church in Antioch is definitely, probably, definitely, I would say, uh, the most impacting church that has ever been in history. It was uh, from Antioch that missionaries were first sent out around the world. So this was the first church to make the conscious decision to send some of their members out to tell other people about Jesus. So if you're a Christian today, it was they that set the precedent that would eventually bring the gospel all the way from Jerusalem over to here in Drumheller and somebody planted a church 90-some years ago. It all started with this idea that began in Antioch. And I want you to think about this um, because we noticed it before, but this church began not by the apostles getting their heads together, not by a strategy or plan that started at the mother church in Jerusalem, but from a bunch of unnamed Christians who were running for their lives and just as they were running to other communities uh, would tell other people about Jesus. And then people came to faith in Jesus, they started to gather and it was a church. 
in Antioch. And when they got to Antioch, they shared the gospel. Jews believed and a church was started. And as I think about this, that these were people, we don't even know their names, I think again about the fact that God loves using ordinary people. He seems to prefer using ordinary people. First Corinthians tells us that he uses not many noble, not many mighty, not, you know, this the ordinary people of lives so that he will get the glory and not people. So that people won't say, well, of course we you know, planted a church because we ha- we're amazing people. We just are very smart and we can do it. God loves to use inadequate people. He loves to use people who experience failure. He loves to use flawed Peter people like, like Peter who kept putting his foot into his mouth. You know, Peter who denied that he even knew Jesus. He loves to use struggling people to spread his kingdom in the world. Isn't that encouraging? He just, he loves to use people like me. I'm sometimes so aware of my own flaws and weaknesses, I think, why would God even use me? He loves using people like you and me. Now, we are ordinary people. This was an ordinary church that had the greatest impact the world has ever seen as a church. So what can we learn from them? What was it about them that made them so effective? And as I went through this, I noticed five things about them. And um, somehow I arranged so that they could all begin with the letter P. And I want to go through these verses and just see what it is about this church that we might imitate, we might be like them. So let's look at these five characteristics of the church. And the first thing I noticed was people. I noticed in verse 25 of chapter 12, in verse 1, in chapter 13, that Luke records the names of people. He says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So Barnabas and Saul had gone from Antioch back to the mother church to help them with their social needs, to bring money and food to them because there was a famine happening there or about to happen. But then in verse 1 of chapter 13, he adds other names of people and gives a little bit of information about these people. And this, it's quite a list. It's an interesting list. It's a real mix of people. So you notice that there's Barnabas. He was a Cyprian Jewish believer. There was Simeon who was called Niger, which means black or dark. And so most people believe he is probably a black man. And then we read that there was Lucian, who came from Cyrene, so that's North Africa. There's Manaean, who was brought up in Herod's court. This is the same Herod in the chapter before, who was so opposed to the church that he put James to death and wanted to put Peter to death. This guy grew up with Herod. They rubbed shoulders together. One of them went this way, complete hostility to the church, and one of them became part of spreading the church around the world. Quite an interesting contrast there. And then there was Saul. He was a Jewish religious academic, a brilliant teacher. So quite a mix of people. The people are named and noticed, and this reminds us that the mission of God goes forward with people, never without them. 
The mission of God goes forward with people. You know, here we are 2,000 years later, and we're talking about these people through whom God's mission was spread. And these people, you know, they didn't start out to change the whole world, but they were willing to follow God, and he used them to change the world. God took a hold of them, he led them, he equipped them, and he used them. And their lives, what they chose to do, wrote a story that we're reading today. Is God recording your name anywhere? Is it part of a story? God uses people. The mission will not go forward without people who are sent and people who do the sending. God uses people. We're doing an alpha right now, and I'm just amazed at how many people, just this small ministry in a home, are involved. You know, we have uh, the Petersons, uh, Steve and Jess, who are hosting us, and then the Gloria, who's organizing the desserts, and Mona, and Elsie, and Donna, who are cooking meals, and Sheila, who are, you know, meals and desserts and things like that, like people, just people banding together, willing to do something for God. Missions goes forward with people. Sunday school goes forward with people. Bible studies are led by people. Prayer is led by people. Evangelism happens through people. God uses people. God can write a story through your life. It'll be recorded in history. It'll be recorded in heaven forever. Is your name written down in any story right now? Are you part of the people who go or part of the people who send? Are you doing something for God? God uses people. So that's the first thing, people. And then the second thing I notice in chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, is prayer. It was while they were praying that God moved them into the first overseas mission that ever occurred. It was a big step. It was a bold step. It was a unique step. It had never been thought of before. I mean, we've, uh, pardon me, we're used to this idea of sending out missionaries. This was a brand new idea to them, and it was while they were praying that they got this idea. Not only were they moved to go into missions, but they were moved to send their very best people. Send the most active people from your church, the most impacting people from your church. Send those people out. We'll be okay. That's what they did. And so you read in verses 2 and 3, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, send apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So God met them in a time of prayer. God directed them while they were worshiping him. God filled them with imagination, ideas, boldness while they were praying. They were in the right spiritual frame of mind to hear from God because they were praying. They were talking to him together as a group. Now Luke loves to show that prayer and the moving of the Spirit of God and the mission, they all work together. For example, in his gospel, Luke chapter 3, verse 21, he's talking about Jesus' mission. And he tells us that as he was praying, heaven was opened, the Holy Spirit descended, and then in verse 23, two verses later, he starts his mission. 
Or in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, the early church was in constant prayer together, and then what happens? The Spirit of God is poured out, and then 3,000 people were added to the church. Prayer, Holy Spirit, mission. And then you look in chapter 2, verse 42, we read that the early church was devoted to four things, and one of them was praying together. And what do you read after that? Numbers kept increasing. More and more people came to faith in Jesus. Or in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11, Peter is praying. The Holy Spirit directs him, and he goes to a Gentile home, and the Gentiles start becoming part of the mission, part of the church. God loves to remind us that prayer is important. And Luke is showing us this lesson. A church powered and moved by God into mission is an earnestly praying church. And so listen, you know, I know that Aaron and Donna are trying to think of ways to, to help us, to coax us into praying together more. As they begin to talk about these things, how we might do it, whether it's a once-a-month prayer time or something like that, lean into it. If you want God's mission to spread, lean into praying. Give yourself to it. God invites us to pray. And then the third thing I noticed, we find this in verse 2 and 4. So we have people, we have prayer, and then we have presence. Verses 2 and 4. Do you know what it's like to have God's presence in your life compelling you, moving you, persuading you, convincing you, energizing you? Do you know what that is? There is a presence of God that a person will know and feel when they're walking with God on mission. God gives his power to people who are walking with him on mission. He doesn't need to give power to people who are not walking in mission. You know, you don't need to put gas in your car if you never drive it. But if you drive it, you need to fill it with the source of power. God fills with power those who are on mission. And, you know, as they are, in verse 2, praying, they are worshiping God. The Bible tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. He's right there. And verse 2 says, while they are worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them. Now, we don't know how the Holy Spirit said this to them. Uh, maybe through one of the prophets, God is saying we need to send Paul and Barnabas out. Uh, maybe they were thinking this through rationally. Listen, we need, Jesus told us to go into all the world. We need to go into more of the world. Hey, why don't we send our best? Yeah, that sounds right. We don't know if he convinced them through their reasoning. Um, maybe everyone felt just compelled and convinced in their hearts, but God made it clear. They knew that they were to send Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas just knew that this was what God was saying to them. They knew the presence of God. So verse 4 says, the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. God is going to move you if you're on mission. He's going to open doors. He's going to persuade you. He's going to give you the heart and energy to do what he wants you to do. But wouldn't that be a great experience if we were earnestly praying and then everybody in that prayer group just knew God is saying plant a church. God is telling us to plant a church. We just know it. We know God is saying that. And when God's presence is with you, you feel it. You know it. You have a sense of assurance and peace and joy. 
you know also that since God is saying do this, he's with you. He's on your side. He's going to help you. And this presence is experienced because they were willing to walk with God in mission. They were walking with God and they knew God was walking with them. They had the presence. We read of this presence regularly in the book of Acts. For example, in Acts chapter 8, verse 29, Philip is on mission, and this is what we read. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay there. He knew the presence. He knew the guiding presence. Or in chapter 10, verse 19, in Peter's prayer time, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter was on mission, and the presence was with him. God is showing us that ordinary people on mission who pray can know his presence, his compelling, his guiding, his convictions. So a church that makes a mission impact has people who are engaged, prayer is a foundation, a presence guiding them, and the fourth thing I notice is they have power. You find that in verses 5 to 11. A church that makes a missional impact has power, but it's not their own power. It's God's power. And we see this in verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Now, how does that show God's power? And the answer is this. Nobody makes themselves a prophet. Nobody makes himself a teacher. It's the power of God that gives them an interest in declaring things. It's the power of God that drives them, that makes them want to sit at books and study their Bibles for hours at a time and then to present it to other people. It's the power and presence of God who makes these people prophets and teachers. And we read this kind of thing, for example, a little later in Acts when we read about the elders there. Paul calls the elders and he says to them, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of God of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The congregation may have voted. They may have recognized you as an elder, but it was God himself that made you an overseer. He made you care for the souls of people. He made you want to bring God's word into their lives. He made you want to give up your time and your energy for other people to help them. God makes people elders. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we read, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. In other words, the church is a supernatural entity. It's not just a religious organization. It's the hand of God creating these dynamics. And the Bible tells us that every Christian is given God-powered abilities. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 and 6, you read this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Every Christian has a gift and ability from God through which he works in the greater body. The church is a supernatural organization. 
what happens is by divine power. Some are prophets, some are teachers, some are overseers, some are show hospitality, some are great at greeting, some are good at teaching children, some look after children in the nursery. Every person is supernaturally gifted to do these things. Now, why does God give prophets and teachers? Because he wants to speak into people's lives. Why does God give people a gift with hospitality? Because he wants people to be loved in each other's homes. God is at work. God is working through people to do specific things for the good of others. And if we refuse these gifts and callings, we are refusing the power of God. When we tear these gifts apart, these people who are gifts, we are tearing apart the power of God. It's a supernatural organization. And the church in Antioch recognized that God was working in Barnabas and Saul and through them. And they blessed them and they sent them out and they said, we're behind you. We've got your back. God is going to do something through you for the mission. But we... We see God's power in another thing, too. We see it in the incident with Elymas, and it's an unusual kind of power of God. Sergius Paulus was in the Roman government as the proconsul, and he wants to hear God's word from Paul and Barnabas, and uh, his attendant is opposed to this. He, wants the, he doesn't want the, his, his boss to hear the gospel. And what we find out is that Paul becomes very angry. We read in verse 9, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of God or the Lord? <coughs> Excuse me. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. And I want you to notice something. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul was filled or under the influence of the Holy Spirit when this happened. In other words, his outrage was a Holy Spirit divine thing. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm just going to take a drink here. So the filling of the Holy Spirit influenced Paul to be like this. And I want you to notice <coughs> how it helped him. Paul saw this man's evil as very evil. When the Spirit of God is influencing us, <coughs> we see evil for the darkness. No, I don't know if we have a... <laughs> no, I won't make that humorous joke but uh, <laughs> about evil. Um, yeah, Paul saw this man's evil is very evil. When we are under the influence of the Spirit, we don't just brush over evil, we just, we are profoundly struck by the evil of evil. We recoil from it. We see it for what it really is. I mean, it was the soul of Sergius Paulus who was at, at stake right here. So, uh, Elymas wanted to stop that. 
Paul had discernment by the power of the Holy Spirit to read the character. He saw who Elimus was really, really was. And then Paul had a heightened sense of righteous indignation. He was angry. The filling of the Holy Spirit made him angry at the evil. You ever think of that? That a person who is filled with God is sometimes angry at evil. And then Paul had boldness to speak out. Paul didn't say, well, you know, you have your view. We're a pluralistic society, and, you know, we have our view. Let's not claim to have a monopoly on the truth here. Let's just all be nice to each other. He didn't say that. He said, you're evil. You're deceiving people. You're wrong. It has to stop. So the power of God makes us bold for the truth. Paul wasn't nice here. He was truthful. He was angry. The power of God in him. And then the fifth P word that I was noticing here is preaching or proclamation. And I want you to remember that over and over, Luke shows us that the gospel has to be proclaimed. The one thing the persecutors always tried to stop was declaring the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And Luke, over and over, reminds us that it has to be proclaimed. In verse 5, we read, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. In other words, the truth of the gospel was their determined focus. If Paul worked at a grocery store, he would have gone there determined to share the words of the gospel. If he worked with, with the oil industry, he would have gone to his job determined that he was going to share the words of the gospel. Wherever he went, he would share the gospel. Determined. Even in an environment that might be unfriendly, going into a synagogue and saying, by the way, this man your leaders crucified, he is the Messiah. Might not get a friendly welcome. They were determined they would share the words of the gospel. Now, in Canada, I feel like we are so impacted by our nice culture, so influenced that we are too cautious. We don't, we don't want to <laughs> offend people because... That is the capital sin. To offend anybody is the capital sin. And so we are almost embarrassed to bring up the name of Jesus and the need to repent from sin and to follow him, put your trust in him, that we almost avoid it. Uh, we, we create these bridge events, and we're very careful in our bridge events. Now, we're not going to talk about Jesus here. We're just going to let them see that we're just ordinary, nice people. And once they feel safe and comfortable with us, then maybe we'll start to share what changes our lives. Then we'll talk about Jesus. This is just a bridge event. I remember uh, when I went to Colombia on a short-term mission, we were helping Marino uh, plant a church. Uh, this started about three years ago uh, in a place called Copacabana in Colombia. Doesn't that sound nice? And uh, the weather is beautiful there all the time. But we, we went there to help them. And uh, we were planning to go and to do ESL, English as a Second Language, because if you are helping people with their English, they'll come. They just love to learn English. Uh, they want to send their kids over to Canada to work for the summer so they can learn English. Like, it's a big deal there. And so I said to Marino, I said, hey, Marino, 
what if we uh, set up a booth in the mall and we just have a sign that says, practice English here, and then we can mention your church. And he immediately he responded, he said, uh, no, um, we, when we reach out to our community, our goal is that they get into the church so they can hear the gospel. Just, not just this bridge event where you're just nice and mentioning us. We want people to hear the gospel. They're determined about that. That church, by the way, has an average attendance of 70 now, and now they're going out to try to start another church in another community. They have to tell people the gospel. And if God is working in someone's heart, they'll be hungry for it. They're waiting for it. That's what we find with Sergius Paulus. If you look at verse 7, uh, Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So let's be praying that God gives us opportunities for people who are looking for answers for life. And some people will be like Elymas. Some people will just be totally against it. They won't like it. But others are ready. They're prepared by God. We see that in Sergius Paulus. Look at verse 12. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. He wasn't amazed that they had a soup kitchen. That's a soup kitchen is a good thing. He was amazed about the teaching about the Lord. And I want you to notice something about this dynamic here. Sergius was an influential, important person in society. He was a Roman, so he was part of the occupying uh, force, and Paul was one of those who was occupied. He was a Jewish person, and they didn't like the Romans because the Romans were occupying their land. He had clout. He had influence. He had a position of power in society. Paul was just endured, and Paul may have been tempted to write this, you know, this enemy of the people, he might just write them off, but he didn't. Neither was he intimidated by Sergius. Sergius was open to hearing the truth. And it just reminds you, you never know who will be open to the truth, whose hearts God is already starting to open up, and they want to know what's true, what life is all about, what the purpose of life is. And so this is a good reminder of it for us. So look at these lessons that we see from the church in Antioch. A church on mission has people who are engaging. Are you engaging? Are you doing anything for God? Are you open to doing things for God? They're praying as the source of their power. They're, they have a presence of God guiding them. They have power, God working in them, raising up people and leading people and gifting people and compelling people and giving people strong convictions there is this power and then there's preaching just giving the simple gospel to people and so they would have gone and they would have explained to people listen you need to acknowledge your sinfulness your distance from God you need to acknowledge that and that there is a judgment of God coming that we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and everyone will receive what is due us for the deeds that we have done in the body. You need to acknowledge that. You need to acknowledge that. 
You need to repent. You need to turn away from the things that are wrong. You need to turn to God. You need to take your back from being away from God and turn your front to God and move towards God. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross to pay your sin. You need to understand that and believe it. And then you need to follow him. Well, how do I follow him? Well, you get baptized in his name, and then you learn to do everything that he has commanded. You need to, you need to bring every part of your life to revolve it around the teaching of Jesus. How you use your time, how you treat your spouse, how you raise your kids, how you use your tongue. You need to do that. That's what they would have been preaching. Asking for that response. I'm going to close in prayer and then we'll ask the worship team to come and lead us in more worship. Our Father, we thank you for this strikingly um, effective church. This church that you put together through a lot of no-names showing us that you delight to use ordinary people, people who are inadequate, people who are flawed, people who feel weak, people who struggle. You use us. We thank you so much. And we thank you for what we see in this church, that it was people. It was people who were engaged, willing to do something for you. And that it was people who prayed. It was people who knew the presence of God because they were on mission. They knew what it was like to be convinced by you, to be compelled by you, to be um, made adequate by you, to be equipped by you. Father, we thank you for this church, and we pray that you would help us to be a church like this, each and, each and every one of us, that we would be like that so that all together we would be like that. Father, we pray that your spirit would convince us of this, that we would not just hear the words and see what you say, nod our heads and then go and ignore it. But help us to be people who are given to mission, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.